Hello, I'm Martin Lawrence Bullard of Martin Lawrence Bullard Design. I'm Laura Umansky with Laura U Interior Design. I'm Bridget Coulter, Bridget Coulter Design. I'm Tom Stringer with Tom Stringer Design Partners based in Chicago. I'm Jamie Rummerfield and Ron Woodson, and we're Woodson and Rummerfield's House of Design. Hi, I'm Jeff Andrews of Jeff Andrews Design. Hi, I'm Jay Connold um, with Full C Design Group. Hi, I'm Alex Papakristidis from AP Interiors, and you are listening to Convo by Design. Convo by Design. Convo by Design. I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a podcast episode about podcasting and how this form of communication is finally getting the attention it deserves of those in the shelter industry. Moderated by a longtime friend and previous guest to the show, Brig and Jane, and accompanied by an amazing panel of new friends who you will meet in uh, in just a moment. <laughs> I learned a long time ago that you can't force people to embrace an idea until they're ready to do so themselves. Podcasting is something I am extremely passionate about because I've been doing it for such a long time. I, I really do love it. This is, this is something that I look forward to doing. At the start of this show, 10 years ago, I, I really wanted to gain the attention of the established media because I felt like I felt like I was providing a product not available at the time, telling the stories behind the design instead of just showing the work itself, the pretty pictures, because that has always been of greater interest to me. It took far longer than I thought it would take to get the kind of attention um, that I've been getting lately. And the reason why... I don't know, because showing pretty pictures is much easier to do, I guess. Talking about the celebrity designer, the star architect, or celebrity client is the design porn that gets clicks and shares instantly. I mean, who doesn't want to see Bridget Romanek's Beyonce design? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I do. But at the same time, I have always found myself more interested in... Why does Bridget think that way? Uh, why does, you know, why does, why do Beyonce and Jay-Z want to live that way? It's the why behind the idea. That's what interests me. And that's what I've, I guess I've always assumed that would interest everyone else. Anyway, um, it, it takes, it takes more time to listen to a full 30 or 60 minute conversation than just looking at pretty pictures. But podcasters are getting the attention now. And as you'll, you'll hear about, it's because you can talk about anything. And if you know what you're talking about, it will, it will gain an audience. It's microcasting at its absolute best. So I'm going to do my best to keep this preamble as short as possible because following it is a, it's a longer conversation about the growth and development of podcasting in our industry. I was fortunate to be invited by Kim Porter, the senior program manager with IMC and Las Vegas Market, who also gives the introduction at the very beginning. In case you don't know her, now you do. In this episode, you will also hear from Justin Hahnemann of uh, ContenderCast, Daniel Russo of the Design Exchange, and Michelle Sherrier of the Retail Whore. What you are going to find is an entirely different conversation than you might expect. It covers everything from how and why to the stories that drew each of us to the platform and what the future of arts and design-focused podcasting might sound like. 
We'll get to that right after this. I am so incredibly proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They have been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes from saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. I think Thermosol makes the greatest steam shower generators in the world for a few reasons. They were first to do it here in the United States, dating back to 1958. They operate a world-class factory here in the U.S. in Round Rock, Texas, where they have an engineering team that designs, tests, and continually refines the product. They test every single steam generator before it leaves the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me and I, I think you know this, that the idea of luxury has changed, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory, or it's just not luxury. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option, the best in the biz, and that's Thermosol. Mitch Altman, third-generation CEO of this family-owned business, continues to innovate with Smart Shower, a technological marvel, aromatherapy, chromotherapy, and so many options. And it's easy to size and simple to configure. Check out all the available options at thermosol.com because a bathroom isn't truly luxury without steam, and there is really only one option if you want the best. It's Thermosol. Welcome, everyone. I want to welcome you to Las Vegas Market and a wonderful Monday afternoon. Uh, we're excited to have you here with us. I'm Kim Porter, the Senior Programming Manager for IMC, so I help pull together all the seminars and panels and all sorts of fun events that you can find on our website and here in person at Market. Um, today we have the power of podcasts and the mics are booming and they are literally. Um, we have four of our um, new and upcoming and very established podcasters um, who have various audiences and um, Brig and Jane is our guest moderator with us, who will kind of just take us through what they're talking about and who they are, and give us more insight as to what podcasts are and the relevance that they bring to us. Um, if you wouldn't mind silencing your cell phones, that would be appreciated, and I'll let Brigan take it from here. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for making it. Um, I'm really excited to get into this conversation because I feel like podcasts have blown up over the last year, year and a half. And as Kim put it, you are all new and upcoming but seasoned, <laughs> which takes uh, both a fresh perspective, but also a lot of knowledge in the space that each of you bring. And bear with me as I introduce them all appropriately due to their bios. <laughs> um, thank you for being with me. Um, some of you are new friends. Josh is an old friend who uh, had me on the podcast, so I guess I'll put you first up on the table of introductions. You okay to that? I love it. All right. So Josh is a speaker, writer, publisher, host, and brand manager. You have over 25 years in this space, even though he's only 26. Um, and his start was actually more outside of the design world and more in broadcasting when it comes to like Playboy and NASCAR. So we're gonna get into some fun conversations about how that I think really helps inform what you do now. Um, you are all over the place and please tell me what I'm missing, Josh. No, you did great. It's awesome. <laughs> he has two kids in one. True. Um, and then I guess we'll, we'll just go completely on board. 
Daniel, so you have the design exchange, and your design philosophy is anyone can design a space, but only a designer can make a space magical. Factual. Factual. Tell me about that, because I look at your outfit today, and I'm like, I believe you. <laughs> Why? Because I have lots of black in my and, wardrobe. And tell us the name of your podcast and how long you've been in the space. I'm the Design Exchange yep. podcast, and I have a co-hostess who's Melinda Peters Elliott, and we started our podcast almost five years ago. Wow. And we didn't really have an intention of where we were going with it or who we were talking to, but I ended up becoming an audio engineer as well as an interior designer. And I've learned a lot that I didn't think I would want to know, but to have a podcast, you have to know all of this useless information. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's how I got started. you who might have questions in this space, I love that interior designers, we are uniquely, as I would say, um, passionate about what we do, which I like to say I'm nerdy. Um, and I think audio engineers say share that same sort of ability to tinker with things till we figure it out, which... I did a lot of tinkering. Right? Translates to aesthetics. <laughs> you could spend a lot of money starting a podcast with the amount of equipment that you actually need. And then I actually have simplified it down to just iMovie and zoom since the pandemic happened and we process everything through the mac now it eliminated the receiver and made my life a lot easier See, but that was about ten thousand dollars in before i realized we didn't need to spend that much money much like interior design yes <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right and michelle you your podcast is my favorite title because it's called the retail whore and I would probably join the AA crew if you start that soon. Um, there's a different Amazon package at my house every day. So I like that your podcast is very functional. And I don't want to skip on the amazing things that you guys have done. But will you tell us in your, your own words, who are you and what brings you here today? The question I ask everybody, and I put right. On. And like, <laughs> I I've been a retail for forty years, so you know I, I was lucky enough to be with Fred Siegel in Santa Monica, where he became my mentor. And I'm, uh, a, I'm a California girl, for those of you who don't know. So Santa Monica is, is there. You go, five hundred Broadway. Yep. Uh, and after the Northridge earthquake, I lost all my stores, and I pulled the plug, and I was the only person to go through bankruptcy at Fred Siegel. Thank you very much. Uh, and I went to anthropology. They they recruited me, and I was there for probably seven years. And I decided to leave and start my own brand. And now I do merchandising and display for wholesalers. So I did Stephen Young upstairs and sales producers on 10, and then I work with retailers and do the same things and bring the same philosophies that I've learned at both Fred Siegel and Anthropology on creating display and taking customers through the experience the way you want them to go through the store. And I think it's amazing when you're able to take your expertise and give it to people in something that's digestible, and your title in itself tells me <laughs> that that that's really a part of your branding experience. Well, I mean, literally I've done everything there is to do in retail. So it seemed like the obvious choice, but I'll tell you that I have more invites out there that I just get ghosted on because I know people are like, oh, the word whore. It's like, <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it's, it's okay. sad, but <laughs> more New people year. like it than not. New honesty. We're going to go with it because, uh, my my patio often looks like you know I should scale it back a bit. 
Um, and then Justin, you have the Contender Podcast. That's right. Which is really sort of based in digital commerce and analytics. Like <laughs> you are, right? Tell us. Sure. So um, the Contender Cast actually focuses on consumer goods and retail. Um, my background is in digital and analytics in addition to retail and consumer goods. Uh, we're in five years now, uh, f- about Let's see, we just crossed over 550 episodes. We publish one or two a week in our largest markets, North America, followed by Europe and Asia Pack. Our listeners are like 80% of them are entrepreneurs. So they're launching new food, beverage, um, product, consumer products. And so that's our, 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 our base and that's our followership, I'll call it. Um, so it's great to be here. Thank you for coming. And I, I did a little bit of homework. I always like to dig in. And what I really appreciated about your audience is it's very specific to sort of starting your own businesses and not necessarily simply focused in the design space, which I think That's right. Is yeah, we say that every winner started as a contender. So like in order to win with a new product or a new brand or a new idea, you gotta put yourself out there. So you gotta be a contender in order to be a winner. It's contender cool. cast. Awesome. Well, I'm going to dig right in and kind of really hopefully get into some of your backgrounds. Michelle, I'm going to brag about Fred Siegel for a while because (laughs) if you guys don't know or if you've ever seen Entourage, it's pretty much where they went to lunch every day. It is like the cool of the cool when it comes to Hollywood who's who in more fashion forward um, retail experiences. So how did that shape the retail whore, and even the title. I mean, right? I like how you enunciated. <laughs> um, you know, Fred's philosophy, I was lucky enough to work directly under Fred, so I learned how to f- hem a pair of pants from Fred. And the customer a- service aspect of how he handled customers and celebrities, and you, it was really about creating a relationship and becoming friends with them. And it was obviously before the days of, social media and you know, there's paparazzi but we had everyone's phone numbers and we drove product to their houses like hey we have this came, shipment came in you know we pulled you x y and z so and so i mean one of my kids that worked for me babysat for tom hanks i mean it was just it was a time in retail and i, I talk about this i have several people that all of us have had stores that no longer are there anymore and we all talk about the days of like Retail's never going to be like that again. Like where you have this intimate relationship with celebrities and and customers, but just that one-on-one talking to a customer and treating them as a friend and family is is something I still believe in as far as customer service. It's also the thing that irks me more than anything going into retail. Like, I like your shoes. Like, like, it's so ingenuine. So it's, for me, when we talk to, talk to people on the podcast it's so interesting to hear about their customer service and how they deal with with people but for me I was lucky enough to be you know raised in the family of Fred Siegel where you go through your your uh, I started the sale so yeah you work the sale and then it was okay okay, we're gonna put you in this position then we're gonna you're the manager and then now you're the buyer and it came when he opened 420 Broadway which was for better ecology it was like all right it's your chance to sink or swim you've got 3,000 square feet, the fixtures are there, yep. you fill it, you run it, you got six months to sink or swim. And, yeah, I, and so Fred Siegel, for those of you that don't know, is almost a grouping of individual yeah. stores that are put together in one retail location, but Fred was um, sort of the 
store that everything sort of hid behind. Um, he, you know, I mean, it was, it's, I guess, kind of like w when you go to an antique mall where yeah. there's separately, and so everybody was separately, and you knew right away if you're going, leaving, because you have a big thing of clothing and you go to walk out, it's like, Like Sorry. market. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody you wanted to see was there. And it, it's, it, it, it just, it was a different way of running retail, but it, it was an incredible experience because honestly, like, even going through bankruptcy and having that pen in my hat, it was so great for my growth and for understanding what to do and what not to do, but more just to have that whole experience and, and take it on to, you know, to talk about it with people in the retail. And, and I'm super open about it and how I was. I mean, I was 27, so it was, but it was an incredible education. That's amazing. And um, I always like to see if anybody, like, who in design started in retailer fashion? Anyone? Of course you do. Look at <laughs> But I, I really find that a lot of us, Rachel, um, uh, that found visual expression as our medium usually dabbled in fashion or mm -hmm. still look great in fashion because our way of communicating with the world is by telling a visual story. Mm -hmm. So um, I just want to touch uh, on one question. You mentioned, and I don't know if our audience is familiar with this as much, making home calls. Like, drive, did you drive <laughs> clothes to, yeah. to clients' homes? <laughs> so I, I think this is an interesting thing for me to ask you. How does that customer service and conversationalist aspect of like pulling up to probably not small homes and dropping off jeans <laughs> make you who you are now? Well, I think the biggest part was acting like in the beginning, you have no idea who they are. Like, you know, how can I help you? And you celebrities like Meg Ryan was extremely private. Like she wore her hat down like you'd. I never approached her until she probably shopped with us three years. And then it was, you know, she's comfortable, you're comfortable. Um, see, pulling up, by the time you're driving to their house, you know them. They're, they know you, you know them, you know their birthdays, you sent them Like I, Because I'm a big believer of like, I used to tell my staff, send a thank you card, every, even if they buy socks. Send, and I still love paper thank yous. I still think it's so important because... You get a million emails, and it's like I'm sure 90% of you just toss them. But to get a handwritten note from someone, especially if like all you bought was a pair of socks, it's like it makes you feel really important. So driving up to like Tom Arnold, and, and I think he was married to Roseanne Barr at that point, and we would drive them. They wore cotton. My husband's camera's going out. <laughs> <laughs> but they wore this one sweat line that it was literally like eight bags of sweats. We would get, and you they would strip down to nothing, and that was where it got awkward because uh -huh. you're like, like okay, you, no God, that was like the day too. <laughs> but it, it just you, you had such an intimate. Back. Oh my God, the juicy thing. Oh, it's <laughs> all coming back. It's all coming back. But what I'm reading through on that that. Um, I'm hearing is connection. Mm. I think the power of podcasts, right, that is our topic today, is a return back to the connection that I miss yeah. from those moments of that type of service that I think um, as interior designers, we, we still 
do that that not a lot of the world does anymore because we can do everything through our screens. So well, I think for interior decorators, and this is why I don't do decorating anymore, is that it's so much more of a personal connection because you are dealing with people who are living in the house. Retailers, it's like great. I love the fixtures. I love how it's set. But you know, it's going to move in six months, six weeks. You are dealing with very, very personal. Like you, they are going to Bedside be living drawers. in that space. <laughs> Which is why I hated that. <laughs> what, what do you keep in your bedside drawer? If yes. You're my client, I know. Um, Josh, you are an amazing connector of people. And I have been so lucky to be connected to amazing individuals through being interviewed by you. But what I love about you in this space is that you claim you're not an interior designer. This Often. Right? I often claim that. Right. It's true. It, Okay, but but you are someone who's able to ask and start these amazing conversations with people. And I'm really interested in how your start at NASCAR and Playboy in that space helps you translate into this world. Okay, so the first thing that you have to understand is that when I started the show, I started the show in 2013. I've been doing this for 10 years. And when I started the podcast, Combo by Design, nobody knew who it was, who I was, what it was, and I would say to a designer, hey, I would, I'd love for you to come on the podcast. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's great. Hey, what's a podcast? Nobody knew what a podcast was <laughs> because blogs were everything 10 years ago. Blogs were everything. So prior to that, um, I was with NASCAR, as I mentioned. And by the way, I started, I learned something from NASCAR that NASCAR and interior design are exactly the same. So in, in NASCAR, in NASCAR, you have the drivers. In design, you have the designers. In NASCAR, you have the brands all over the vehicles, which is the same relationship that you have with the brands that are in design. <clears throat> and in NASCAR, you have the fans that love their drivers. And in design, you have the enthusiasts and the fans who love their, their designers, right? Designers, drivers, exactly the same thing. It's just a different sport. And anyone who says design is not a sport is in incredibly wrong and mistaken. So I had always loved design and architecture, and I always wanted to be around it. I think that's why I've often said that I'm not a designer, I'm not an architect, because I have, I have incredible respect for what you do, for what you do. Um, there's a lot of artistry that goes into being a designer and an architect. And I wanted to make sure when I started this that I wasn't pretending that I was something that I wasn't. I, I'm, I'm a journalist, that's what I do. When I was a Playboy, I had a dual role. I built the digital pure play. So you wanna talk about being an audio engineer. How about, how about going in 30 days, being dropped from Sirius XM, we moved it from Sirius XM to a digital pure play which meant we took everything in-house to, to have all of our podcasts, all of our shows in-house. So we weren't off serious, and we had to figure out how in 30 days to go live from the mansion for a Playmate of the Year event. We had to figure out how to go live to uh, Honolulu for the Pro Bowl. We had to figure out how to go live from the Hollywood Bowl for the, for the Jazz Festival. So for me, you know, it was always about talking to people and telling the stories and trying to figure out what is it, this is what I love to do. What can I find out that you don't know? I mean, if you read AD, you know what the design looks like. 
you know who they specified, you know who's in the house, you've watched the videos, you know you've walked through the house, you've seen the designer, you've talked to the client, but 10 years ago, all you were getting were, were pictures. As a matter of fact, most of the trades had this policy, don't put people in the pictures, just put the work, just put the furniture. So I wanted to get back to the stories. So for me, um, there's a story that I've, I've told on the show. Um, I was at Playboy, I was doing the Playboy radio interview and I was interviewing Tom Sizemore. I don't know if anyone knows who the actor Tom Sizemore is, but he's, he's been in Saving Private Ryan, he's been in um, uh, Heat was the one we were talking about. So you're in a movie with, with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Val Kilmer, when Val Kilmer's at his absolute peak, and you got Tom Sizemore, who, who is a phenomenal actor, who has a, who had a very rough history, and he was telling me this story about Robert De Niro basically saving his life and getting him on this picture and saying, you got to stay clean. He didn't stay clean. And he was on tons of drugs. Hero I mean, heroin. He was wow. doing heroin every single day. And the only way that they could get insured is Robert De Niro basically put his reputation on the line for the insurance for the picture. And um, he was still high every day. So final cut, final shot for, for Tom was there's this bank robbery scene at the end for anyone who's ever seen Heat. And he's running outside. He gets shot in the head and dies. And he was telling me he had his, his assistant park his convertible over by the honey wagon behind the bushes so that when he heard cut print, he knew that his role was done. He could get up and sprint. And he still got the bullet hole in his head with the makeup, jumps over the shrubs into his Mustang convertible, drives down to, I think it was Shutters in uh, off Pico, right? in Santa Monica and he holed up there for two and a half three days the only one who knew he was there was his drug dealer but he gets a knock on the door one day and it's Robert De Niro and De Niro's bringing his mother he brought Tom Sizemore's mother down there and said you know what let's get you to rehab that's probably one of the reasons why Tom Sizemore was still alive so I cut from there to tell you like those are the stories that I wanted to find in design you are listening to my conversation from the Las Vegas market with some amazing podcasters with shows of their own. And uh, this panel was moderated by the incomparable Brig and Jane. We'll be right back right after this. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Convo by Design is more than just a podcast. I'm not sure if you know that. I have spent the past 10 years building a production company and consulting firm that develops brand ambassador programs, CEUs, live event programming, as well as branded content for companies in the design and architecture industry, including including designers, architects, furnishing companies, showrooms, and others in the trade. We have 
content producer talent in every region of the country and can help you grow your design business through brand development campaigns, social media, and CEU content development and production, as well as content consulting and live event programming to help you build strong and meaningful partnerships that will help you grow and strengthen your design business. For more information, message me at Convo by Design with an X on Instagram or email me Convo by Design at Outlook.com. C-O-N-V-O-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N at Outlook.com. Now everyone's scared to go on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but but really, like, reads through with me from you is your vulnerability and your ability to have other people share with you from such a vulnerable place. You know, the, these are guests that you are being privileged to, to interview, but they're sharing things they haven't shared with other people. I mean, you've done what, 420 plus uh, episodes on a podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah, see, I told you I'm a nerd. I yeah. do my homework. <laughs> um, but what would you say to the new podcaster who's starting out? Because I think that that requires a certain level of wisdom. Like, how, how do you lean into that vulnerability and get it out of others? Okay, so here's the thing. And I learned this at Playboy because when, when you're working with playmates and actors and musicians and athletes, they don't have a lot of time and they don't want to mess around. And oftentimes, they don't do the background. They don't do the research. What what designers do that I absolutely love is if a good designer, you talk to your client, and you you see through the BS, and you look in their side table drawers, and you get to understand who they are. I show up at every interview I do with with a modicum of knowledge of of who they are and what they do, but not the work. And not the products that they specify, but who they are and based on what they do. I've, okay, so I learned, um, and that's the thing I think I would say, the key is learn from every single thing you do so you get better. I was interviewing, and by the way, this is not, this is not to name drop. I am not a name dropper. But I do, I do like to throw certain names out there because there's a certain amount of credibility that comes from talking to people who you know. Like talking to Tom Sizemore and hearing his story, he's had a very colorful past. But it's a very interesting story that you wouldn't really have heard anywhere else. So I was talking to Bunny Williams, and one of the things that I heard Bunny say at, I think it was Legends years ago, was that you know there was this quote where she, she wanted people to, to understand that she learned working at Parrish Hadley that she learned from Sister Parrish, not just the things that she wanted out of her career and not the things that she wanted out of her life, but she learned things that she didn't want. She said, Sister Parrish loved chaos and mayhem in the market, in the, in the office rather, and she wanted no part of that. So when she got the opportunity to start her own firm, that was so core and key to her life and what she wanted. And then other people are like, well, that's why she has an intern, sorry, former intern running her company because she found a like-minded spirit that she could groom and mold. And that's a story that I don't think we hear very often. Yeah, you're really sort of lifting the lid on every industry that you've been in to get to the heart of the person. And I think if we are gonna get back to that type of connection, that's something that uh, is just, a gift that you were given, Josh, honestly. And, and, and I appreciate it every day. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And um, Justin, I, I 
really enjoy that your podcast seems very purpose-driven in sharing information. And and where was the design behind what you were going to do, how you were going to launch it, and its success today? Yeah, so um, when I launched it, I discovered, or I thought there was a real gap in the space around entrepreneurs and consumer products and, and retail. All of the marketing, the kind of PR, everything was focused on the big brands. And so I thought that was an opportunity. And then, I mean, you can look here, if you go down and walk through the temporaries, there are brands down there that are hoping to make it to showrooms and they're hoping to be bought at some point, right? So. Um, but there's nobody really focused on that that segment in the consumer product space, and and then with smaller retailers that are growing. Um, so that was the idea, and then um, I had done a ton of blogging, so it was kind of funny. That's where I had, I had been doing a ton of that, and then a lot of on stage hosting, and so I was looking for an opportunity to kind of bring those together. And you're right, five or six years ago, it was a new thing, but I knew sound and I knew um, how to you know, do the mics and do the inner workings of, of MacBook so I could get it off the ground. And I had a great network. And so <laughs> I started with my network and then I realized that I got a lot more than just one month of content. And, that, and so that's how it launched. And what are you most proud of now? Like you started an idea five, six years back. There might be people here tonight who are thinking about starting that idea, who are trying to make it figure outable. What has led to your success that you would pass on? Or I would say um, a couple of things. You got to be passionate about it and really love what you're doing. Just like the people I interview, they're all really well, the ones that are most successful are passionate about their product and they love it. They live it. They they put the time into it, right? And they're committed to it. The second is having a consistent format, so a listener knows every time they know what the outline is that I'm going to follow and about how long the episode will be, so that they don't. It's not a surprise to them. And the third thing, like the the thing I've really focused on is like, how do you unpack ideas out of it so that the listener gets something as a takeaway? And it's not about me. It's really about the guest. Yeah. Do you find that you also learn through having Definitely. your mediums? <laughs> totally. Like, right? That's the coolest part. Yeah. I mean, I love it. And in my day job, I work with the big retail and CPG brands worldwide. So like, I, you know, I work in my day job with that and then I get with my podcast, the kind of the up and comer. So it's been a really cool kind of way to tie those together and see what's up and coming. Like, what's the new trend that's out there? It's been really an interesting perspective. Yeah, a little background in Bregan Jane, I'm sure why Kim asked me to help host this, is I I did a podcast called Mom Life Yo when I became a mom, and we did 100 episodes, and we went live every week. But what I loved about it is I really felt like it was my own personal education in uh, interviewing every parent expert I could on any subject I wanted to know about. And I used it um, in that way and I think it helped inform you know, the listener because I was organically coming to it with my own questions and not what I wanted to put out there, more what I wanted to know that I didn't know. Yeah, I'll just build on that. I do. Um, I write an outline and do my research for every interview on the person and the company. But it, inevitably, it's so fun when there's like an unexpected moment and like an aha, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Like it's so great that I just kind of picked that up and learned from it. And so I find as much um, enjoyment out of that part of doing this as much as helping the brand get some, you know, press. Yeah, I, I think that this uh, group here at Market is uniquely uh, given a lot of creative ideas, and your podcast, right, really goes through the journey of turning those creative ideas into success. And I mean, if I can't learn those lessons, I mean, every day I'm like, how do I, I have this great idea again? Three hours later, new one. <laughs> 
Not to right? Anyone it. else? <laughs> literally took the word out of my mouth. <laughs> right. And Daniel, tell us more about you. I, I would love to know, you mentioned something earlier, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, but okay. it seems like your career is really booming and has some big opportunities ahead of you. How has your podcast positioned you for things like TV opportunities that I'm maybe not supposed to be talking about? Well, if you figure that out, let me know. <laughs> because, so my podcast, we do 30-minute increments. I'm always happy to have somebody new on. I love talking about myself, but I can't do it for 30 minutes straight. So I'll bring on, I'll have my co-host with me, and we'll cover whatever topic is trending in interior design for that moment. And then the guests that we bring on, they come from all different backgrounds, whether they're a flooring expert, a fashion designer, a plumbing expert, Rachel Moriarty, uh, it just depends. like whoever. Um, I, I just love talking to people, interviewing them, and letting them talk and learning about them. So it's positioned me in a very unique place. We just opened a store. Um, Congratulations. We need to talk. <laughs> Retail's collapsing right now, and I opened a store. So, like, figure that out. But I did start my career in 2008 with a recession, and I made it through that. And now that we're going through the retail apocalypse, which I think we're pretty much, we're not over. Oh, no, the expert says I we're not. I thought we kind of figured Look it out. Look downstairs to see how many people are down there shopping. I don't believe it. <laughs> well, I thought we had it all figured out before the pandemic, and we were all getting the in-shop, omni-channel thing down. And apparently the pandemic turned that all upside down. And now we're like relearning the past. But when I started the podcast, I was a big blogger. I would spend so much time writing these blogs. And then my Instagram was just like, everybody was going crazy on Instagram. So what I thought was people aren't reading. They're just looking at images. So I actually started doing my podcast um, recording them as video and processing them into YouTube as well. So not only are we on Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, we do have the YouTube channel with the guests on that. Figuring that out was a nightmare. Apparently today at some point or tomorrow, I'm launching a five-piece capsule collection with Woodbridge Furniture. You are as well. Please say yes. I think that's correct. <laughs> okay, you're not. Um, never mind. I didn't say any of that. Um, no, but, but I think this is amazing because um, I, as a designer in the space, I've seen people stand out because they're willing to talk about what they do and sort of lift the lid and just be like, I love this and I want to talk about it all the time. And I think it does set you for new opportunities in your career. It does. And I am really good at interviewing my client because a lot of people think that a designer is going to push their aesthetic on them. Well, that's not exactly true. As they're interviewing me, I'm interviewing them. And I want to know the three questions. Who, what, what, who, what, where, when, why? When do we need to be done? What is the purpose of doing this? Why are we doing this? Like, how's the room going to function? So I ask a lot of questions and then nail down my client's aesthetic perfectly. At least I try to. Yeah. That answer, is that a good answer? No, it's a great answer. I love that I'm among conversationalists because it lifted the pressure from me. I was like, I'm moderating podcasters. They know how to talk. This will be fun. I actually think me and you met last Cabus, and I was hanging out with your assistant. Oh, yes. Sydney. And then we ran into each other at High Point after that, but you were too busy. 
Me? I said hi. We were busy. <laughs> but we were in the lobby at that hotel. Yeah. Christopher was there. We're going to do it, it all Florida. again tonight, guys, right? Who's going to the designer soiree? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, thank you for the effort that it takes to share yourself on YouTube and on iHeartRadio and all this uploading. I mean, there really is a lot of work behind making this information available to all of us. Despite the fact that we're all doing the work, it's, it's hard to learn without that extra level of just hours. Like, how many hours do you work in a day? Oh God, I can tell you last week I pulled a 15, 16 hour day because mm -hmm. it was the first day mm -hmm. of the new mm -hmm. year mm -hmm. and everybody was calling and calling and calling. So that Monday and Tuesday were like 16 hour days. I try to keep it down to like seven, eight. Nerds and workaholics. I'm just <laughs> going to say that's what I am. Um, Same. Michelle, so obviously there are so many new products coming out all the time like if i go through my feed it's like everything i'm like how do i not have that how do i not have that and then there come the packages how do you find um sort of the thorough line on what you're going to talk about what you're going to feature and what people want to listen to it started out talking to retailers just what they were doing during the pandemic like what are you how are you surviving what are, what are you doing to pivot. I hate that word still, but what, what are you doing? Like what, what's frustrating? Are, are, are you making sourdough? Are you drinking wine? And you know, making sourdough or drinking wine, right? Like those that's were pretty options. much all everybody was that did. An, was that an or or an and? Both. <laughs> and. Depends but, on the person. But what, like we, I went back to work and I got busy and I was traveling still very close like I was one of the only people on airplanes at that time when I was traveling back here into Atlanta and podcast went away and, and or the the lives went away and then I decided let's start a podcast and I grouped up my best friend who thankfully I don't have to do any of the digital part of it because I'm if you've heard the podcast you know I'm not tech at all like at all but I realized like we started talking to retailers and now we're talking to wholesalers and I, I went to an event last year called UPP and there's all these creators and educators and I realized like there's so many people, Crystal Media is here, she, like how many things that I wish I had when I was a retailer about SEO, not that SEO belonged, was there at that point, but anything that retailers need educationally now so now it's kind of a, a retailers it's wholesalers talking about products that they're coming out with what's new what's trending retailers of what you love and what what is your biggest frustration and what are you doing for customer service so it's kind of evolved into all things it's not just retail but i i don't really study I, I hate to say I don't study, but I really try and wing it. I really try and make it a natural conversation, and I kind of follow what people are talking about, and it, it sometimes ends up where people end up telling very personal stories, and it's I kind of just let it unfold, which has been kind of the beautiful part about it. Do you feel like new furniture is coming out faster than it used to? Like, I feel like it's just... Judging by watching how many new rollouts I've seen, yes, but it's I'm not in the fashion. fashion well, in that a little bit, in that way. Do you know what's really funny? <laughs> you know what's so? It's I just want to point something out here. I find it fascinating. So while we're having this conversation, I love this. But while you're talking about like 
is furniture coming out faster? And then you get into what, what you do. I just want to point out, like, the original question was, as, no, 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 as, as I heard it, we think totally differently. And as I heard it was, like, how do you talk about, to me, it's my editorial calendar, right? It's my, that's, for me, it's the editorial calendar. So you're 100% right. And what I, what I try to think about in putting together the shows is, like, when am I going to talk about that? Because if I tried, it's not easy. What you, what, it's so cool that everyone has such a different show. If I tried to do what you do, my head would literally explode. Both of you. <laughs> Both, yeah. I can't think that way. I just, I can't process that many things at a time. So, so like, in, in trying to get ready for market, like, I already have an editorial calendar. I'm going to be talking about what I saw, who I met, what, what was of interest to me, and what was of, of interest to the people that I spoke to. So I know that I don't have to go through that in the future. I am the worst with calendars. I, I will admit it. I literally fly by this. The only thing I have on calendars are setups for market. I know I was at Stephen Young's for two months. I know I'm going to be here. So work, my day hustles. What I When it comes to the podcast, scheduling is done by Elisa, thank God. And we try and do it like no, February is all about love letters. So I, I, for those of you in retail, if you know who Iris Fuller is, she had the beautiful store Filamento in San Francisco. I was lucky enough to interview her. She closed her stores right before 9-11, week before 9-11, and she disappeared. And we, I put out a question like, who, who should we interview? And Nathan, well, kind of, Mexico. Nathan from Nathan & Co. said, Iris Fuller, and I'm like, great, do you know her? And he's like, I don't, but I'll find her. And damned if he didn't find her living in Mexico. And I had to walk her, she's 78, almost eight. I had to walk her how to go through a Zoom call, which I'm not tech. She's really not tech. But it was such an amazing interview to talk to her. But it, so she's planned, but I don't, I don't plan a lot. I don't what want it? to feel like it. I have a, the notes app, and I just have my TDX podcast. And I'll book, when I think of a topic, as I'm walking around Market or wherever, I'll put it on my notes, so that when I when we go to record, we record at least three episodes. <laughs> Y'all are way more organized than I am. <laughs> we, I have, we record I have the whole at least. Year, I have this whole year planned, just so you know. So do I. Whole year. So do I. Yeah. The whole year. Like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I next just keep Christmas. adding topics. <laughs> but what I love is that we have four different people four different topics, and four different ways to create a business of podcasting and conversation. And each of you is like, oh, I couldn't do it your way. I couldn't do it your way. And I think that that's a great example for everybody here on no excuses. You know what I mean? Like, you can take advice and learn from other people, but you've got to figure out the weird system that works for you and you only because... When you're spending this much time dedicating your life to something, it has to work for you. I try to block out about four hours a week, and we record multiple episodes at once. So that's, and then it's like I said, the MacBook app is much easier. But I had a receiver and I had a sports set headphone thing at one point. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be an easier way. But you don't need to spend a ton of money. It, all Macs come with GarageBand and iMovie, and it's really super easy to edit things these days. I'll teach you. Well, I will say that. Well, I don't even want to learn. I'm not okay. going to lie. I, I will say if, if if for those for those that do want to learn how to do podcasts, we decided my editor, mm -hmm. 
because I have a very talented editor that's just out of college, Elisa, who's digital marketing, who came out of the LA Weekly, and myself, and we're going to do podcasts on how to start, because it literally, I'm not kidding, it was such a whim. My, I said, I'm going to start a podcast, and my husband buys me a microphone, and it sat and mocked me on my desk for a year, and I finally was like, okay... No, I don't know any of it. I'm not. I'm not even exaggerating. I, I, but it, it is. It's very organic, and it is very easy. It's just having conversations with people. It's truly having conversations with people. And Michelle, you're an example of resiliency in your industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I never would have known there was a bankruptcy behind you, and I love that you're so open with that. Ooh. I love how you have a podcast, <laughs> and you're like, I know nothing about tech. I mean, these are the types of things that Josh wants us to tell everybody, right? Um, I mean, it's, I, it's I don't know if it's that you want to tell everyone that. Here's what, But what I will tell you, as evidenced here, is that everyone can do it. Anyone can do it. It doesn't mean that everyone should. And I think that, right, did I get him? Mm-hmm, I hear you. It, and I think that that's, that's one of the challenges. And I, I will tell you, so I got, I, I don't get like pissy about things. I really don't. But as at some point in time, like one of the things that bothered me about five years ago, four years ago, is that there was an influx into the business of podcasting. And everyone's like, oh, all you need is a mic. I'll just go get, you know, I know, I know. I'll just, I'll just go get a mic and I'll just plug it in and I'll crack the mic and just start talking. And a lot of people did that. What was that app that popped up for a second? Anyone still on it? That was Clubhouse? Like, yes. Oh. oh my God. Yes. Is that still a thing? <laughs> That's still a thing. Anyone still on that? Okay. I was I was out on Clubhouse right away, not because it's not viable, but just because I knew instantly that it was not for me. Well, it was interesting because it uh, did exactly what you said. It gave everybody the opportunity to speak through their cell phone, and it didn't work. But it not did, everybody should have a microphone. But it did something else, too, that most people don't realize. See, for me, IP is very important. And... Clubhouse, when they first came out, the terms of service, which I know everyone here reads their terms of service for everything that you have. But if you read it, they can basically say they can they can change your podcast around. They can take your IP. They can take your voice. They can take your show. They can manipulate it. They can change it. They can throw sponsors in it. Well, guess what? I've had sponsors since before I had a listener. I've had a sponsor for my show from day one. And that was always really important to me. And it's always a source of pride. My, my sponsor partners now are friends. They're friends of mine. And we've worked together for a very long time. I want to know that I'm protecting that intellectual property, that I'm protecting the integrity of the show. And I think that by so many people just jumping in at the same time, it was like, well, everyone can do it. It's ubiquitous. Then you still have to sort through what's good and what's not. And then, you know, what what happened is I kind of went through that realization where it's like, you know what? I'm just going to do me. It doesn't really matter. And I, I like that you touched on the monetization aspect of podcasting. And I think that you are uniquely put in a position to be able to think of that from the forefront of your podcast, coming from that world in other industries. Um, it, was that part of your why? You know, for those who are looking to diversify or, you know, look at other opportunities for generating income. Um, how much of the why was that for you and how untapped do you think that is? 
so for me, the why was I, I wanted to be able to go have a business of my own. I didn't want to be in broadcast anymore. That's why I had an opportunity to jump, and I jumped um, both feet. I started my own business, and it's it's my. I do more than podcasting. I'm a, I'm a brand manager. I'm a brand developer. I, I work for a lot of clients. I've produced podcasts for dozens of other people. Um, that I am. You don't hear my name. I'm not on it. I'm not involved in it. I edit it. I produce it. That's part of my business model. The, the show, Convo by Design, is a source of pride for me. I love it. I love the show. It's a, it's a living, breathing thing. It's, it really is. It's not one of my children, but it's something different. But I really, really love it. And I will tell you that the why was I wanted to figure out how to do something that was so different and so unique that didn't exist at the time. And I did. And then what happened was, and this is what I didn't realize. What I didn't realize was then other people are going to come in and they're going to do what you do, what I do, and then they're going to do it and call it theirs and do it their same way. And guess what? That's okay. I had to keep changing. So I basically, it, it's the playmate principle. And I, for those who don't know, no, it's a thing. And I'm going to tell you what it is. So Kelly Wurstler, lover or hater, okay? I, I love her and it has nothing to do with her design work. It's who she is and how she is. She was a playmate. And I didn't learn until I went to, um, I was at Playboy, and I understood what the lifetime, what the lifespan of a playmate was. You get 30 days. You're Miss May. You can mock it if you want to, but I'm telling you, it's a real thing. You're Miss May. You have May to make the most of that opportunity. You're not gonna get it again. You're never gonna be a playmate again. Maybe you're a playmate of the year, Maybe you do something different with the organization, but you will never be a playmate of the month again. It's the only thing you get. You get 30 days. You better make hay because when that month is over, Miss June is coming next. And okay. she's somebody who if you look at what she does and you look at how she runs her business, she's a beast. And that's her background. And that's, that's how she, she's, she's amazing. Yeah, I, ju I just stayed at one of her hotels over the holidays, and I am amazed by her ability to take things that you would never install, <laughs> probably off the clothes-off rack, and turn it into, like, this gorgeous wall. And and I, I really am inspired by her design aesthetic, and I hope she doesn't take this the wrong way if she ever hears this, but I'm like, she's really good at making ugly beautiful like she really is it's like this tile that you would never think would work but she repeats it in this way and i think that that is probably very similar to her business acumen and i did not know that so thank you for sharing that um so justin you also have a, a podcast where you share yourself with like-minded individuals and entrepreneurs who are growing in their success and I'm wondering from a value add that isn't just monetizing, right? How much of a networking um, sort of facilitator is that for you? Is that purposeful? Or is it just finding like-minded people and it just sort of happened? Yeah, I would say the um, benefits are kind of threefold. If you think first for the brand owner, they're getting their word out, their message out, their story told in a new and different way so they get the win. Um, on all of these platforms. The second is for, certainly for me, I mean, I'm building a broader network. I can help them connect to others that they might need help. They might need help with supply chain or inventory management or like marketing or branding or labeling and whatnot. And 
know all the people that do that because we've met so many people in the industry that are in that space. And then the third is for the listener. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening. So I mentioned earlier about 70 to 80% of our listeners are um, are launching, growing products, brands, services, et cetera. And so they get to hear uh, from others like what their lessons learned are. And, and oh, by the way, then they actually are connecting to some of those brands afterwards as well. So I'd say those are three of the big benefits I've observed. And do you find that those benefits come back to you as the podcast host? Like how much of a connector is that for you as your own entrepreneur? I, uh, I would say no. I mean, nice that the platform is there in the way that I know that it's of value is I get the PR folks are, they send me more and more of their customers. So I know that that's helpful. But at the end of the day, if I help them connect, then it's a win, right? They, they're getting like their brand out there, but then also they've made a connection and can grow their business. So that's the true win. So the value add for you is being able to give them the value Absolutely. add. Of, you make it about others. I mean, yeah. like, and especially yeah. in this world, like we're, you're, you're helping them grow. And then it's so amazing to see over time, they come back on and tell their story of what they've done next. And um, so that's pretty exciting. And how much of that is connected to your why? Like why? Well, I mean, when I started this, I, I wasn't doing it so that I could monetize it. I was doing it because I had a lot of creative energy that needed an outlet and in a way that I could blend together some of these different areas. And I, um, so I've seen that being able to take something and then use it to benefit and help others has been really great. And the monetizations are too, but I mean, that, to me, that was about, um, I'd, I'd say, influencing the industry, but also helping uh, others and growing their brand. And we were in the process at the time of launching our own little side business. So I kind of knew what some of these little um, consumer goods brands were dealing with. And so it was another platform to leverage. And I, I think it's important to talk about the why because there is so much effort behind it. And sometimes it is monetization. Sometimes it's around helping others. And, um, you know, Daniel, I think what's interesting is you've also done a lot of TV. Which came first, radio, TV? Do they do they work together? Oh boy, uh, TV segments I started doing about maybe three years ago, but then we filmed a TV show during the pandemic, and it's just everything. I feel like everything piggybacks off of another thing. So to be, you can't just be an interior designer. You have to be an author. You have to have be, have a podcast. You have to like be an audio engineer. And it's like, and then you have to attend every single market that happens to get everything going. But I feel like every portion that we do, it's a spoke in the wheel to keep our businesses running. And was conversation something that you felt feel more comfortable in in person? Or do you like it in the podcast radio you're also putting it up on YouTube? So I you're could talk never anywhere. doing it blind. But I could talk to anybody anywhere and I'm fine with it, but you have to have a personality. I think most designers all have to have a personality because you're being hired for that personality. And if you're not talking to your clients and they don't like your personality and you don't necessarily have a great personality, you're not going to get the job. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I think it, for me, having a radio show for as long as I did really made me comfortable with live television, which is a lot of I'm good on live television. Yeah. And then they have me on conservative talk radio, and I'm like, how did I end up here? You're like, no take Along back. with the Playboy. <laughs> but I'll, it's been, we talk about everything, but everything fuels the other side of the business. Yeah, there's a part of, do you record your podcast live, or do you edit? We do. I don't like editing. I gave that up 
because it was taking too much time. So I was like, listen, you've done media training. You know how to do this. Ask the right questions. And then that made my life easier by not having to edit. Yeah. So we do 30 minutes. I set a timer. And then I have it wrapped up within that 30 minutes. And I always ask. Most interviews start off with the same questions. And I got kind of sick of that. So I just kind of started messing around with people. And they're like, where do you get your inspiration from? And I remember Tom Ford doing an interview for Vogue years ago. And he said that he takes six baths a day. How do you have time to fill a bathtub that many times, number one? So he was just messing around with them for Architectural Digest when they were doing it. So I actually started doing that with clients and even my guests. And they just love it. So, I mean, I have fun with it. Yeah, you play. But it's entertaining. Uh, uh, do any of you else broadcast live or, or, or host or play it live later? I record all of mine in advance. Okay. So, um, and it's usually one take. So, that's yeah. that, like 98% of mine, like we hit record They're, without the music intro and all that stuff. We hit record, I do my intro, and we do the interview, and then that's the cut. Like, there is yeah. no editing unless. I say the person's name wrong or, you know, they, they, how long does it usually take you guys to edit a podcast? I mean, for me, if I had to go in and edit, it would take me a good two hours to go in and start pulling things apart. So that's why I started doing just the one take and getting it right. Josh, planner of the year. Yeah, you would. It it takes me 15 minutes for every 60 minutes of show. Okay. I, I cut my pre and post. I record the interviews live. I do not edit. And I make sure when I send my advance notes to either the publicist or to, to the guests themselves, they know it's in audio and video. Um, audio is for the podcast. Video is for social. Be prepared. Check your mic ahead of time. I do not edit. So if you if you make a mistake, cover it up. Cover it. Just say, hey, you know what? Sorry, I'm, I mis- with I misspoke. Let me let me do that again. Totally cool. There have been occasions in the past where I've burned whole shows because someone's like I, I can't get it right I just can't get it right I was like you know what let's do this some other time and and I have walked away from an interview and I had an just audio failure it. last week and I was mortified it, ha- it like, happens oh my god I just moved all of my equipment down to interview a fashion designer who did this shirt and the audio is bad so I have to redo the whole thing but you have to test wait can I just can I just tell you I interviewed Lisa Vanderpump oh. two hours ago <laughs> yeah I don't have it did she have the dog no, but I don't have it. Like the audio's no burned. No audio. The, the audio's burned. It was something happened with the recording. That recorder. makes me feel so, so good. I don't have it. Happens. It happens. It happens. Because I hate to admit it, because I am new at this. More than once, we have recorded the whole. And our podcasts are not short. They're like an hour. Some of them, because you get so in depth in conversation. But literally, I've looked up, or where Elise is like, "Hey, send me the file for so and so," and all of a sudden, because we do it on Zoom, and it goes up on YouTube, and all of a sudden, I'm like holy shit, like, it didn't record. Like, it is, like, and it, it's, it, I, I beat myself, and, and Lisa's like, don't beat yourself up about it. Like, you're human. Like, don't, please, like, everybody goes to this. So thank you, because it, it, it honestly, it's like, I, I feel worse about how much time someone spent with me. Like, you know, they're in a showroom, or they're in their store, and I just spent an hour bullshitting with them, basically, for, like, not on camera. And it's, They've been the two that we've gone through this has been very, very uh, like no problem. Don't worry. Like let's I do think it again. That's the other thing too is I used to stress about that. Oh like God, you would not believe. It's now horrible. it's like okay, I can live with it. It made me a, it made me a better person. I think honestly, it priorities. Oh, you know, it's not you. the end of the world. 
Okay. And, and you learn as you go. I yeah. remember uh, I used to, I mean, when I started my podcast, it was forever ago, even though I'm 12. But um, I would like dig into the person's bio and who they were and every question I was going to ask them and everything I wanted to know. And I realized that the episodes weren't as interesting because I knew everything about the person I was interviewing. And so, you know, a year later, a hundred episodes in, I would go in knowing their name because it was a better episode because I organically led my listener right down the journey. Mm -hmm. So, it's hard having a podcast, and I commend you all. We are all conversationalists, and I want to make sure with these last 15 minutes or so um, that we have the opportunity for you guys to ask questions. Podcasts are a very specific genre, and you guys might want to know something for yourself or your own businesses. So I just wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity for you guys to direct those questions to these Go get them. I mean, you guys are a group that is so resilient and so honest. Like, we don't know what we're doing, yet you're all killing it. So I'm sure somebody has a question on how do I do that too. For somebody that's starting that doesn't know anything about technical anything, what would you recommend? I mean, it doesn't have to be professional, but just to get going, um, would you do audio? Would you do video? Would you do audio video? Um, and then what equipment would you use? Could you use your computer or your phone? Or, I mean, it, I will make it very easy. Well, in the beginning for the editing part of it, I wanted to do audio and visual because retailers are visual. Like, they yes. like, what does the store look like? I want to see. So I realized it's too expensive to have somebody edit both. So we started with just, but on your Mac, there's GarageBand. And Which has a very robust, um, you could do title slides, you can cut up your videos. Oh, honey, and please. then you have all that stock <laughs> video audio that you can add your music in and I, have I, your intro and outro. It's all in GarageBand. So GarageBand is a great tool, and it's very, very, I mean, believe me, if I can use it, it's very easy because it, it will record everything. Zoom is hands down the best way to do it because also I realized the video, the conversations we had without being able to see the person's face and reaction and like where you feed off each other and you're, you, they just weren't the same when it was just audio. So when you do Zoom, Zoom records it, which is great. Just download it to drive. Our editor, I, I was smart and got an editor who also has a podcast herself. So she edits it. Elisa does all the rest of the, the, the hard work. But it's actually, it's actually very simple. Go on YouTube, YouTube it first. YouTube it, okay. That's what I Thank did. Thank you. And and I'm also hearing that outsourcing for help is a part 100%. of the start process. I, I mean, it's it's not inexpensive, but it's not like you think it is. But it's one of those things that I know I know my strengths. I know what I'm really good at. Like I'm a really good visual merchandiser. I can talk like there's no tomorrow. I am not good at the tech part. So I, I know my strengths and to hand that off to somebody else, you know, it was very, very easy. <laughs> but here's the flip side to that. The flip side is like I wanted to know how to do it because yeah. if, if I spend the time, here's the thing, you've all experienced this. If I spend the time to train somebody to do something and then they bail on me, mm -hmm. now I'm training somebody twice. Yeah. And 
with with podcasting, you know, it's your voice, it's your likeness, it's your image. If you have to train train someone to go do your editing for you, and then they bail, what's your time worth? Then you have to go learn it again, or do you learn the skill? If you love riding in style, you're going to want to go somewhere in a Bentley. A Volkswagen will get you there, but if you like riding in a Bentley, it's not going to be the same experience. I use Adobe Audition because I like to edit. I like, like to be. Bentleys. I like to be able to take a graphic equalizer and take certain noises out, put certain things in. Makes I move audio around. Audio engineering isn't is an art. It's a skill, right? You don't have to be a super pro at it, but if you and Adobe Audition is like twenty bucks a month. If you learn how to use it, it is amazing what you can do with it. Will GarageBand work for you and sound wonderful if you if you like that? It absolutely will. It's a choice. I'll just add one thing that has nothing to do with technology. It's like, why are you going to do that? Like, what? I mean, what's the topic? Don't answer. I'm just saying, like, what the what's going to be the focus? And then, like, your like, what's the structure you're thinking about? Who would be the guest, or is it just you? So, I would put some of that thinking together before you go, you know, um, invest in technology. And another good outsourcing site is called Upwork. You can go put out. There's tons of people that do podcast editing, all kinds of. You can read the reviews and whatnot. That's a great site to go and check out um, uh, contractors. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you absolutely have to have SoundCloud or something to host the podcast yeah, too, awesome. don't you? That took me about a, six months to figure out. You have to have SoundCloud or some other hosting service that pushes your podcast to all of the Apple podcast app, the iHeartRadio app, uh, the, all the but Buzzsprout is who we use. Yeah, there's and, a bunch of different ones. And I there. use Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. And the, once you post the episode, it goes out to all the. Yeah. So here's the, the here's the difference too. I use Blueberry, and um, Lib, Libsyn is like the OG. Libsyn is the original. I mean, they're the remarkable at what they do, but they're not as user friendly. So I like Blueberry because for me, my uploading process is very, very simple. I get my intros, I take my media over. It's very, very simple, and I've made all. The, I've clicked all the right boxes. I'm everywhere. Like in ten years, if there's a podcast outlet, I'm I'm on it. And if I'm not on it, it doesn't really matter because everyone else knows where I am. Some of these, though, you have to input and you have to go seek things out. While others, they bring it to you, and it's like click this, click that, click that. You'll never get a person on the other end to talk to, but some make it easier than others. And that's really something important too, because you're going to be married to this. You can move it, but for the most part, you're going to be married to that, to that host. It's a host. It's a podcast host. Yeah, Blueberry is the one that I use. So just going over these, you um, mentioned GarageBand, Lipson. Um, Blueberry, Zoom, and then Mac. Zoom is not a podcast host. You've got Libsyn, oh. uh, Buzzsprout. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. I use Blueberry. There's Podomatic. There's, there's oh my gosh, there's dozens of So them. I export, I bring everything into iMovie. Okay? I bring the podcast into iMovie, and then I start, I'll put my intro music, oh, outro music, title slide, if I want to get creative, I know how to put slides in to do different shows, but I'm too busy to do that. So um, I then export the iMovie audio only. SoundCloud takes a file that the best file is AIFF. Not sure what that stands for, but it's supposed to be better than an MP3 from what I read. And then I also upload it to YouTube. So when, when you do your iMovie, how do you film it? 
I usually record off of Zoom. So, so I don't, and I don't do I, any video, by the way. I'm only audio. I feel like podcast blogs went out. I'll I feel like podcasts them. were going to and if people I, want to see if I can help more. put this in categories, yeah. right? For you guys, there's recording the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So they they need somebody to record it. Then they need a way to edit it because there's always front end or back end that you have to take on or off. Or Josh puts in all sorts of sounds. You go live. They all have different editing techniques. And then the third step is broadcasting it. So that's putting it on either a SoundCloud or a Libsyn or somebody that gets it out into the ether. Right? Okay. Three step. Thank you for explaining Thank you. that. <laughs> you did a better job than we did. Chris. Christopher Grubb. Uh, do any of you use this for your sole income? Oh, sorry. Because, Danny, you were talking about using it for TV and other outlets. Is this something with enough sponsorship? Would you just do this full time? I'll do anything do for do? money. But <laughs> Josh, do you? Josh, do you? It is it is part of my business model. It's it's it absolutely is. But it's that there's also the production work that that I do. There's the consulting work that I do. There's the hosting work that I do. It's all wrapped into the same business. But that is part of the business. Could somebody make this their own? Like solely do this? Is there enough income, enough sponsorship, absolutely. or it's going to depend the person? Like Joe Rogan, Ash your buddy Nick May. Yeah, but he did it forever. He did a great job. He did. He, he did. He really oh, yeah, no, did he would did. But it's remember blogging, everybody's like, You have to blog, you have to blog, you have to blog. And Blogging's think, different. It's a different I think the difference is you know, people are reading it and then you're where are you putting your ads and how are you putting them ads? The ad integration that I use, I do all lives for mine. I don't do recorded. I've tried recorded in the past. They just don't work for me. I like the authentic nature of them. And can someone do it that way? You absolutely can. And by the way, the one thing I will also tell you is, Brigham, the way that that you work with your partners and your manufacturers is brilliant. It's the same thing that you do that gets someone to sponsor with you. But then you have to understand the business side of it too. If you understand what co-op funds are for and how they're used and sort of the model that advertising is, how revenue is generated in the design advertising system it makes a it makes more sense to to generate revenue this way and yes somebody can absolutely make a living no question and i think the blogger that's generated revenue when that um sort of became a professional idea have now become book writers right so they are writers at the root of i think their talent and podcasters i mean you guys are storytellers in the audio sense. So I do think both are feasible, but hard hard to break through the success that leads to monetization, but I think it's totally plausible and was for the blogger. Yeah. They just became writers of Well, they books. had the click opportunity and, you know. Like Look, I, I, will, I will also give you an example too and, and explain something else that you have to be aware of, right? If you are a blogger, bloggers are great. If you're a blogger now, chat GPT, and AI in the future is going to make blogging by a person fairly obsolete. Because if you can go into ChatGPT, which Microsoft just dropped $10 billion into that company, if you can go in and say, write me an article about um, interior design, quote designers, uh, add the attribution, and make it 500 words with footnotes, it will give it to you in about 35 seconds. Now, right now, it's not great because um, you'll get a lot of Joe Smith's 
and and Susie Smiths, who are your ad attributed you writers, it. it's not you're still going to need a person to to proof proof it, but it's coming, and they can't m mimic my voice. AI can, so is AI going to turn into a podcaster? Maybe, but it's not now. Even TV talent. I want to get to some more. What does chat G? PT stand for. I just got a message about it this when I was on the plane. Actually, I have Somebody absolutely was like, no clue, but I've been using it for about a month and a half. <laughs> okay, um, good. no, it comes. It comes thing. through. It comes through OpenAI. It's a. It's a. It's a source. Yeah. I brought AI up at a high point panel, and you would have thought I said the F word because they just were like, "Don't, don't, don't even go there." I'm like, "Okay." Uh, I have a question for Josh. Um, you said um, anybody can do podcasts but not everybody should so um what is the, what is your opinion about someone who has an accent like myself i think your i think your accent is wonderful what's your native tongue uh korean yeah do it in korean do it in korean yeah i think the accent adds more no a, no what i'm saying is i i also think bilingual. the language i yeah i think your accent is beautiful yeah but i think you have a natural language too and look how many English-speaking podcasts are there? Yeah. How many native? How many Korean podcasts are there? I don't know, but I will guarantee you there are far fewer. How many are in interior design and architecture? I would say even fewer. I think there's a bigger market. Sorry? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, it, do it for a Korean. Look, how, you you have Korean clients. If that's your market, know who your market is. I think that's the first thing you need no, to know. No, I don't have a niche. Korean <laughs> clients. Well, <laughs> do you want Korean clients? Because speaking to them is how you get them. But that's just the that's just the yeah, idea. I, I used to have a lot of Korean clients when I was in California. Now I, I moved to Utah. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What, what, no, listen. Go. You got to know your marketplace. There, the the intab for for a Korean family looking to hire an interior designer is not going to be as great as it would be in Los Angeles. That's just how it is. Um, by the way, that brings up the other part, the research, and that's for another day. But know who your audience is. And by the way, I don't. I there are plenty of people out there who have accents. Speech impediments um, that they 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 speak differently. I think that that's wonderful. I, I look. I have a rasp in my voice that I didn't have ten years ago. At first, it was it kind of bugged me, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but since then, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know what? It is what it is. I don't know what I'm going to sound like in ten years from now, but I kind of like this now. I've gotten used to it. So go with who you are, and and if you do that and it's authentic. People will find you, and they will like what you have to say. Thank you for the answer and encouragement. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you guys for everything you've shared. This has been so helpful. Um, my question was regarding like branding, like in the beginning. So I am a beginning podcaster. I signed on with like a producer, a team who they were going to like help teach me a lot of the technology things because those were intimidating for me. A lot of kind of what they also said they'd be helping with was a ton of the marketing and the branding and the monetization and sponsorships. And then that's kind of fallen through the cracks. So I'm like, okay, I feel like I either need to like be learning this myself or finding a different team of people to like help with it. So. I'm just curious on kind of your guys' advice if you can look back on 
what you would tell yourself way back in the beginning when it comes to your branding. I feel like what I'm up against is I'm starting. It's more of like a self-development, self-improvement podcast. I'm a manifesting generator, so I kind of do everything. We have a furniture business. We have six children at home. We're so excited to ditch this week. I love like wellness, spirituality. So I feel like my specific people that I'm speaking to is a lot of mothers who like want more for their life. So trying to figure out that branding, I feel like right now it's been quiet because people are trying to figure out, okay, what exactly are you delivering? Because you have so many passionate things you can speak to well. So I'm kind of like, what do I feed off of that people are craving when it's quiet, but I'm trying to be authentic to like everything I can deliver. I would just keep going forward with what you're doing because you have to start from somewhere and whether you have one listener, 10 listeners, 2,000 listeners, you're putting content out there and content is king right now. So if you can get somebody to be on your podcast and I could tell you one of my most watched podcasts, well, vlogcast, I guess we would call it, right? It's a vlog. So um, I had Perry Gay Walker on from Texas and she promoted her one podcast so much that it ended up becoming my most watched podcast to this date. But she took the link that I shared with her and she promoted it herself and it got us more subscribers. So just keep doing what you're doing. You're not doing anything wrong, but it's going to take time to build your following and your audience. I think also like don't go into it with the monetization part of it. Like I, I honestly, like I, I, I think, Go into your passion and what you love to do, but you're having a niche market and really kind of dialing down. Like I knew mine was going to be retail. I knew it wasn't going to be boring. I knew it, it was, I, we drop F bombs. Like it wasn't going to be, I knew I didn't want it to be the serious retail. There's a lot of that out there. And it, you know, for most retailers who are sitting in a store who are bored, who are, you know, they're not bored, but it's very lonely is what I've heard is that they're in their store day in, day out. They come to show. It's great. They get out, but then they go back in their stores and they're processing shipment. They have to deal with stuff that hasn't come in and, and customers and their employees. And it has given them a moment to be able to listen to what other retailers are going through. And I think knowing that niche, which is kind of over the last year and a half, being able to dial down really like, seeing where people are really like, thank you so much. I learned so much from this. Like I never planned on it being an educational. I mean, the first time someone said this is an educational platform, like I dropped F-bombs. Like, you know that, right? Like, but the retailers are learning so much and they're taking so much away from other retailers that are going through the same experiences. So I feel like the more you know, and if it's talking to moms that also are design savvy, that's her her wheelhouse like I think the more you know and you focus on that instead of being all things that you could be like really what you're passionate about and you know in your heart of hearts that you know like the back of your hand I would get a logo made for your podcast picture logo well that's the difference though is to know the difference between branding and marketing Mm -hmm. if you're talking about marketing as in growing your listener base and growing your following that's marketing if you're talking about branding, as in your audio branding, the the I have a I have a sounder that runs at the end of every show. It's run at the end of every show, kind of like you've heard them before on on the Intel. If I mention the Intel ad, you know exactly what it sounds like, right? So I have one that runs at the end of my show. That's that's audio branding. The 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 preambles I do with the music inset that I have that's audio branding. That's part of the branding of the show, same as the logo. But the marketing, I think, is what you're talking about. Totally different. 
um, different story. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say unless you, I mean, if you're trying to build a following that's on the marketing side, and I would be cautious on anybody that can commit that to you because there's just so much noise. There are people out there that will take advantage yes. of you. But if it's on like, if it is, yeah, if it's on like the sound quality and like record and put it packaging, the actual product, there are some really good um, companies out there, and we can probably give you some referrals if you'd like at the end of this. So. Great. Thank yeah. you, guys. Hi guys, quick question. What would be, how often would you go on air or what do you, what do you say the frequency of a podcast? That is not a quick question. There's no. <laughs> I do have follow-ups. I say that mine comes out every Friday. Now, we have to take hiatuses sometimes because December happened and I just we just can't produce it, but I try to keep it consistent that a thirty minute episode is coming out Friday at midnight and I try to have them all set for the month. Uh, that's just me. I try to do it. I try. But don't you think being consistent because that's it the is. one thing it's like I think I it's know several people have started podcasts and they they're like, Oh, it's gonna be on this day and then they fall off the face for like three weeks and people who are like what else do they have to say? I for me, it would be be consistent. Like if it, you're going to say it's coming out Wednesday, like make damn sure it's coming out Wednesday. Is your consistency in telling the audience when it's coming or do you have a consistent schedule? I think now because it's been a year and a half and everyone knows every Wednesday it comes out. It's And we also... So you're both once a week. Social media, it's also, it's like we're promoting it. And we're promoting the other people like so much that it's like there's a pre-promotion and there's the day that it drops and then we promote the YouTube the next day. So, but consistency i would say you have to be very careful pre-recording too in case something happens that's unexpected in the world and you're talking about who knows uh, you have to be sensitive to watch what happens what about you Tim? yeah so and uh, it's interesting we haven't really even talked like about how how long our episodes are so i try to keep mine to 20 to 25 minutes and so i do monday and thursday and your audience gets, they come to expect that it's out every Monday and Thursday or every Monday, right? Or Friday. And so, um, but I think if you break that trust or then people will unfollow, unsubscribe, they figure something's up. It's not, this isn't professional. I think it's as important to be consistent um, with the schedule. Um, I publish every Tuesday. I run 45 minutes to an hour. My interviews are generally 40 to 50 minutes. And then with pre-post and inset, um, I'm generally around an hour. Sometimes I go longer. That's what I love about this. When I was in broadcast, I had to be on an, on an actual clock. So you would know at 58, you had to drop out. You, we were on an actual clock that you could not mess with, especially if you had national syndication that you had to work with. But this, you can go as long or short as you want. I have found the sweet spot. I, I've done two hour, I just did, I did one with John McClain um, for, because I'm doing a design house and it took that long to get through the whole process, the two interviews and all this. That's a special occasion, um, but everything else, I, so I, I, like I said, I published on Tuesday, but guess what? I may not get it out tomorrow. Um, the internet at the hotel is not great and it may not come out until I get back on Wednesday and you know what, that's okay. So let me ask you a question then, because if you have a two hour one, do you break it in half? Like, do you fear that people are going to like, I'm sitting in my car, I'm not going to listen to this for two hours? No, and, no, and here's why. Very simple. This is a podcast. You're not at home watching it. It's on your, it's a great question. Yeah. Um, and I've wrestled with it and I've talked to people about it. It's on your phone. 
You can listen at the gym. You can listen again when you go to the grocery store. You can listen again when you're on your hike. You can listen when you're driving in the car. You can listen all the time. If you stop in the middle of an interview, happens all the time. You can always come back, and people do. And uh, for those of you who had, oh, do we have time for more, Kim? Okay. No, please explain. Sorry. So uh, we decided once a week is probably best. Yes, common consensus. Now, how many days prior to going on air do you produce? Or do you go into production and then to edit? Like, are you I'm anxious to hear this days, one too. Three days. <laughs> Josh is six months. <laughs> yeah. You're the day before. <laughs> it's going to be all different answers. Right? right? Yeah. Well, what's the short answer for each one of you? We, we're, I try and record as much as possible. So we have content out booked until, I think, end of March. And then I start recording again now that I'm out of my busy season. Um, how long it takes to edit, that's a damn good question. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing like an hour, but I try and record and have as much banked. So when, like right now, where I've been out here for almost three months doing a build-out, because I tried to do interviews after days of being in showrooms and setting up, and I couldn't even carry on a conversation. Like it, so, it, so she's bulk recording, so that's, but then that's putting a good it part. out once a week. I do that too. Like I'll record three episodes, and I could record four at most, but I get sick of talking. So. I record four to six weeks in advance. As of right now, I have 12 shows recorded. I have six in the can. I'm booked uh, with my interviews through March. I record on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday between uh, 9 a.m. and noon on Central Standard Time. And I have um, the episodes in, that are booked through March will run in Q2. And then just I one feel last so Mickey Mouse. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, no. Anybody for or against going live with your podcast. Well, we're Quick live right now <laughs> with my podcast. <laughs> Josh, yeah or nay? Nay. I'm a no because, and primarily because of my schedule and I, I need to plan things out in advance. And um, But I am able to throw in a special. So if someone comes on and they're like, we're launching a new product this week, I can move things around and get it launched in time for their product launch. I wouldn't even know how to go live. <laughs> I mean, I probably hit the live button on Facebook and that's it. <laughs> I don't know. I went live a lot when we were in the pandemic because everyone was at home. So now I feel like like we're live right now for, I think we're on, I don't know if we're on MC or. or yeah, but can I just give or, you, can I give you a two part answer? Sorry. So sure. I, I don't do the podcast live because I like to record and write the preamble and the postamble. Yeah. That's why I like to do it. I have done something called the showroom before, which is a live show that we record them in front of an audience via Zoom. But I, I take the audio and I go back later and re-edit and republish for the podcast. So you kind of mix it up. You get residual listeners too when you're um, not necessarily live, but you can recycle your podcast to, from if you have 500 podcasts in, you can recycle episode 13 into this. Yeah, but you have a lot, you have enough content there to keep. That's the other thing I do as a best of at the end of the year. So I'll take the downloads and I'll say like, top five or top ten and I'll run that for two weeks and so I have two weeks pretty much off. Can I just say it's a testament to all of you that these are the most questions I've ever seen <laughs> on any of these panels and it's because you guys are such conversationalists. There's one more that I just want to get to quickly because I, I saw an eager hand. <laughs> I'm not answering this because you're I'll my be husband. I haven't done it yet. I, I've, 
So I, I've got a new book. I'm working on some of that content will be repurposed into that. I, I repurpose all the time. And I, it, again, that's not an easy question because the one thing to know is that, um, so I record every episode. I take every final episode. I have a content management system. So now I can go find any of, and if you're starting a podcast, that's the first thing you need to do is figure out how you're going to manage your content. Um, I can go find, and if I want to do a kitchen episode, I can pull from kitchen episodes. If I want to do a best of at 400, which I did, I can pull content from the best interviews over, over the years and repurpose it that way. I pull segments of the video for social. Um, I used to do audiograms. I don't do audiograms anymore. Now I just do small segment and videos. What's an audiogram? Audiogram, you've seen them. It's a picture where you'll see the wave and the audio oh, under. Okay. So for the sake of learning, um, would you mind repeating your question in the mic? Because I did a no-no and we didn't get it for the listeners. <laughs> Basically, the question is about repurposing your content. Now I'm going to have when to edit. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I, I got the sound engineer came in. Uh, I was in trouble. You know what? That's no. my fault for not repeating the question, which every good host is supposed to do. My bad. Exactly. Segue from that question. We have one more. But I'm I'm gonna wrap up and and just encourage we'll us all to be yeah. Are you guys open to answering these on the floor and, and yeah. getting some more connection out of this segment? I have so enjoyed this. Josh, Justin, thank Daniel, you so Michelle. Much. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for the honesty. That's something that stands out to me from today. You really just lifted the lid on what you guys are putting out there. And I think that that's why everybody's so engaged and has so much to take away from today. So thank you. Thank you for having us. And uh, we will continue this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Brigan, Michelle, Daniel, John. I really am so fortunate for an opportunity to share a stage with you. Thank you, Kim, for making this possible uh, just a joy, and I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you to Convo by Design partners and sponsors, including Thermosol, Moya Living, Design Hardware. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to download, subscribe, and listen to the show. I appreciate you, and I hope this show helps you do that thing you do better. For more information on the show, about what we do here at Convo by Design, check the show notes for links and ways to connect. Until next week, be
Be well and take today first. 